Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. I was seeking the Lord uh, after our Easter uh, services and said, Lord, where, where do you want us to go as a church? And, and what he began to show me was something that was going on in my own life. Since uh, Lisa was diagnosed with cancer, the, the level of pressure or spiritual pressure that I've felt has been increased and has been at a, a capacity I've never experienced before. And then I heard the Lord say, you, you must go deep in order to overcome, in order to, to thrive in the midst of pressure. But he also started to show me that many of you are going through some of the most spiritually pressurized times of your life. People have lost loved ones. We've, we've seen some people we love and respect pass away. People have been through difficulties in marriages, family, all kinds of things. And the Lord said, in order to go through the level of pressure, you have to be deeply rooted. But he also said this, and I've seen this in my life, is that times of spiritual pressure are not times to retreat. They are the times of greatest advance. And so, in order to really take advantage of this period in your life, the Father is calling you by His Spirit to go deep into your faith in Jesus. Now, it's been illustrated to me, even as I drive to the church, all over the forest near my house, you see all these giant trees that have fallen to the ground. And, and these things are massive. They're really, really tall trees. But if you look at them, they have very shallow roots. And so there, here are these trees that have, have mass and have height, but because it was easy to get water and it was easy to get nutrition, their roots never had to go deep. And so they went high, but they didn't go deep. And in your life, God will never take you high till He's taken you deep. Because he, he wants to sustain your thriving. He wants to sustain your flourishing. And He doesn't want you to flourish without depth. Are you hearing me? So the Lord took me to Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is a prophet who had to be sustained in the midst of one of the most difficult spiritual pressurized periods in the life of God's people. And he actually had to do it all by himself. He was alone. No one listened to him. Nobody wanted his prophecies. They tried to kill him. They put him in prison. I mean, he was challenged to the max. As a matter of fact, uh, it wasn't till almost the end of his life they decided to record his prophecies because they all came true. <laughs> we should have listened is what they were saying you understand he was deeply rooted the others were not and so here's in kind of a capsule form here's his message if you dethrone God something else will take the throne and what Jeremiah says is that which will take the throne of your heart will be addictive it will be destructive but that throne will not stay empty when you dethrone god something else gets enthroned and that thing that gets enthroned is not your friend then the second message is this and this is this is so important that you hear this if you diminish or you decrease God's presence in your life, if you diminish His importance in your life, you diminish your spiritual power. You decrease your spiritual power. You cannot go through the trials of life without great spiritual power. If God decreases, you decrease. If God diminishes, your spirit diminishes. And so... As hard as it is for many of us to face, every, behind everything going on in your life is a spiritual cause. And when you fail to see that the spiritual aspect 
is pervasive in every aspect of your life, God tends to decrease. And when God decreases, you decrease. Now, we're going to read. Are you tracking with me on this? You got really quiet. All right, five of you. That's all I need. All right, so we're going to read. It's kind of a lengthy read we're about to do, but I, I need you to hear and, and digest the first chapter of Jeremiah. It's such an essential aspect and foundational to the teaching here. We'll do this for about eight weeks of going through the book. We won't do all the book. We'll do main type themes throughout the book. But we've got to start at chapter one. Now, this first four, three verses are all names that I'm going to just read them for you, all right? All right, I'm just going to read them so you don't have to get all messed up with trying to figure out how to pronounce them. And then I'm going to ask you to pick up the rest and read with me, okay? So I'm going to read this part. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Israel went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me saying, now read with me, okay? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everywhere I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you. There's the Lord. All right, here's what I want you to do. It's awesome passage. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at one person. All right, find, find one person who can stand to look at you. Look at one person. All right, you're going to talk to them. They're going to talk to you, okay? Here's what I want you to say. I want you to have in your mouth the very words that the Lord Himself spoke to Jeremiah, okay? So here's what I want you to say. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and rescue you.
No one can do that for you but the Lord. Even the puniest one of you in here, and I'm looking around to see which one it is. Even the weakest, the most fragile one in here, if you accept His Word to you, you become a fortified city. You become an iron pillar on which a whole you know, family can be supported. You become a bronze wall that nothing can penetrate even under attack. You understand everything that's going on in your life is spiritual in origin. It may look emotional. It may look financial, health, whatever it is. But if you hear the Word of the Lord under attack, then you are a fortified city. You're an iron pillar. Nothing can stop you. Bronze wall, nothing can penetrate. But if you take your eyes off His Word, then they can penetrate the puniness of your soul. Even in the armor of God, one of the main elements of the armor is a shield, not of your good works, a shield of faith. And without wielding that shield of faith, it says there are fiery darts of the evil one that come in. Those, those fiery darts are labeled unbelief, Anxiety, anger, fear, depression, sexual immorality, temptation, deception. And if there is no shield of faith, they get right in and the poison goes all through your body. But if you, even being the puniest person in here, the one who says, I have little or no willpower, but you say, but I will believe what God says, then all of a sudden you're not defending yourself, He's defending you. See, at some point you've got to get past this stupid idea that you can protect yourself. I mean, nobody's hurt you more than you. Nobody's disappointed you more than you. How are you going to protect you? And yet the Lord says, behind me, you are a fortified city. You're an iron pillar. And I wanted you to hear that coming out of a mouth, your own mouth to someone else and coming out of their mouth to you because it is true. It is a word from the Lord for you, and it will take you deep. Now, we're going to do some Bible stuff for a little while, and uh, I have the microphone, so you have no choice. But uh, <laughs> All right, so this book is one of the hardest books in the Bible to read. It is not done in chronological order. It is not done in topical order. You try to figure it out, it is extremely difficult. It jumps around. It's very poetic. There's amazing truths in it. But sometimes you just get lost in what he's trying to say. And so I want you to, I want you to understand that there's a, a relevant history that actually speaks to where we are today. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet called 600 years before Jesus. And he was, he was actually called the weeping prophet. He's the one who wrote the book of Lamentations. Because he lived in a time of incredible spiritual pressure. It was one of the darkest periods. Now, in the, in the early days of Jeremiah's life, verses 1-3 through three talk about how he was teamed up with Josiah. Now, Josiah was one of the most wonderful of the kings. He became a king at eight years old. His father died. He became king. He was eight years old. He was raised by the priest. And so when Josiah kind of came into his own, he began to institute reform to bring the people back to Yahweh. And Josiah really was a, a, a king that had a heart for God. And so during the days of Josiah, the, the political situation was in turmoil around him. There was little or no security for the people. Assyria had been the superpower, and they had taken the northern kingdom of Israel and had dispersed them and gotten rid of them altogether. And then the southern kingdom of Judah now faces enemies all around itself. Assyria is an enemy. Egypt is an enemy. And so they're, they're trying to figure out how will we make ourselves safe? How will we continue to have economic strength? How will we go forward politically? And Josiah is realizing that Assyria is weakening. 
Assyria went through some uh, succession issues, and so their, their empire was crumbling, and Egypt was kind of rumbling. And so Josiah is trying to think through, who do I align myself with? Where do I get my power from to protect my borders, to protect my people? And so what we see is, is Jeremiah, he details all these political realities. He speaks to the fact that there's turmoil, there's transition. But every moment that he speaks, he's always God-centric. He's saying the real issue here, friends, is not Assyria. The real issue isn't Egypt. It's not even Babylon. It's not any of these things. It's your spiritual state. It is the issue of your hearts. Because you keep looking for someone else to rescue you and someone else to make you safe, you are not putting your trust in the only true safety that you have. See, what Jeremiah was trying to get Josiah to do and the others to do, he was trying to say, it's not important what Assyria does. What is God up to? It's not important what these other people, Egypt and Babylon does, but what is God up to? See the heart of God. See the hand of God. You see, only God knows the future. Only God can make you safe in the present and make you safe in the future. But often we, you know, as people, we watch the news and we get scared. Or we watch the news and we get angry. Or we watch the news and we wonder if there's any hope. And so as you, as you put your eyes on the wrong things and ask the wrong questions, you'll always get the wrong answers. I've seen this so many times. As we as a church, or me as an individual, where I've said, Lord, things are unsettled in my life. Things seem like they're not going like I want them to go, but I'm not going to keep my eyes on that. My eye is on You. As a church, we saw this so... I have so many illustrations of this, but I want to give you one. In 2008, do you remember how the economy went down? How many people lost fortunes, their retirement accounts, lost money... All kinds of things happened. Do you know what the leadership of this church was doing when that was going on? We had been seeking the Lord for years beforehand. And He gave us a word that He asked us to obey. He said to us early on, before this even was clear that it was going to happen, He said, I want this church out of debt. We took every penny that we had and we paid off every debt that we had. Because the Lord had spoken to our leaders. So that when the downturn came, this church didn't retreat, we advanced. While others were wondering how they would pay their mortgage, we had no mortgage to pay. We took on more staff. Not because we're smart people. We're not that smart. But because we didn't ask, what is Wall Street doing? We asked, what is God doing? My God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of Wall Street. <laughs> My God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of the federal government. It doesn't tie it to any of that, right? My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But many of us, see, we keep looking at our circumstances to supply our needs. When you tie yourself to your circumstances or to other people, you're making them your source, which makes them your idol. And even if there are other places where your heart is for God, a divided heart will always end up in instability. Because the, the double-minded are unstable in all their ways. And they can expect nothing from God. So what happened... Are you tracking with me so far? So what happened is, then Josiah found the law of God. The law of God had been missing for years. The Word of God, the books of Moses had been missing. So those who even wanted to follow God didn't know how to follow God because they had no guide. And so when they found the law of God, they were shocked at how far they had drifted from God. And in this season, Jeremiah 
flourished as a prophet because he could speak the word of God and call them to repentance. And an amazing reformation took place in the whole worship and following of Yahweh. But Josiah got killed. Matter of fact, Josiah, I don't know if I said this, but he was only eight years old when he became king, and he was dead by the time he was 39 years old. And so when Josiah died, the Reformation died. His son was not a good king. His son only lasted a few months. Then another son of uh, Josiah came into the, to the kingship, and, and he, and then his son, and then another son of J- Josiah. I mean, it was a mess, friends. It was a mess until Babylon just put a puppet ruler, Zedekiah, over the people. There had been such wickedness, and when this wickedness rose up, it rose up against Jeremiah. Because what he was saying was no longer welcome. So the Word of God, which had brought reformation, was now being turned off so they could go back to their old ways. And so... Jeremiah ended up being imprisoned. They tried to kill him. They wanted to destroy him. And he was a prophet who had to have deep roots in the very call of God and in the Word of God. And I need two microphones, obviously. Okay, so I want to talk to you about his call and his burden. Now, The call of Jeremiah is is a fascinating call. Uh, First off is that he's a teenager. When he's called into a prophetic ministry, he is but a teen. That's his first response. God, how can you be calling me? How can these things be true of me? I am just a teenager. So what you see here is you see that he's called by God, but he's reluctant. He's a reluctant prophet. Now, one of the things you see in the scripture is most of the people called by God are pretty reluctant to accept the call. And most of the ones who are the greatest were the most reluctant. So what I was thinking is all of you therefore qualify. You qualify for greatness. Your stubbornness, reluctance, your resistance, it's all biblically based. I mean, Moses didn't know he was Moses till he was called to be Moses. Jeremiah didn't know who Jeremiah was until he was called. He thought he was just a teenager. And God said, no, you're a prophet over nations. Do you not see as you read this, he wasn't qualified for the call. The call qualified him. You see, he had nothing to, in any way, he had nothing that would, that would commend him to ministry. He wasn't a great preacher. He wasn't a great writer. He wasn't some great spiritual leader. He had done nothing, but the sovereign Lord sovereignly called him, and the call qualified him. I'm trying to get this across because you know what? If you are a Christian, you are called just like Jeremiah. Your past is irrelevant. I'm not saying God won't redeem it. I'm not saying He won't use it. But it's not your past that qualifies you. Therefore, it can't be your past that disqualifies you. See, because He, he loves to provoke the established. Think about this. This is a traditional culture. Who do you listen to in a traditional culture? Not the teenagers. Matter of fact, there isn't any culture where we listen to the teenagers. (laughs) I mean, us old people, we think we know better. But our God set up a teenager as a prophet to the nations. Our God called him to destroy and to overthrow, to tear down, and then to build and to plant does sound kind of like a teenager in some ways. Do you understand, if if you are in Christ, you are called by God just as Jeremiah was called. Do you understand, 
There are no separations in the kingdom of God between priest and laity. There's no separation between clergy and laity. We are all priests before God. When you came into the family of God, you became a part of the royal priesthood of all believers. Because not a single one of you needs a priest to get to God. Because if you have Jesus Christ, you have the great high priest, and he is the only mediator that counts between God and man. I cannot get you to heaven. There's nobody in any religious organization that can get you to heaven. Only the Lord Jesus Christ binds his life to yours and your life to his, and he takes you with him into eternity. But then he calls you to be a priest in his name. There is a call on every one of your lives to live in such a way in Christ and to work in such a way with Christ that everybody in your family, your friends, every circle that you're in knows who Christ is through Christ in you. You are called. And if you're not answering that call, if you stay in your stubbornness and in your reluctance, You will never know the fullness of who you are. Jeremiah was not Jeremiah until he was called to be Jeremiah. You are not fully you until you're living in the call that God has for you. Now, a lot of people will say to me, well, you know, I think I hear from God or I think this might be from God, but I'm not sure. So I'm so afraid I'm going to make a mistake that I don't do anything. Look, it is better for you to think maybe this is God and try it and fail because you will learn from that. Because listen, you can steer a moving car. Steering is irrelevant in a parked car. You're hearing me? There was a ripple as I said that one. You understand, if you're making mistakes, you can learn. But you're moving. You might have said the wrong thing. Many of us who have learned to speak or to to hear the voice of God, we have often been deceived by the pizza last night. (laughs) Where you just think, oh, that was God. No, that was the pizza. Or that was your adrenaline. Or that was just your longing. But see, you don't know that till you mess up. And guess what keeps you from wanting to mess up? It's not your holiness. It's your pride of looking bad. Your pride of looking foolish. And so the best thing in the world is to start stepping out and saying, I think the Lord is asking me to do this. And then when the whole church goes, no, that wasn't God, then you listen. Because you won't learn otherwise. If you can't be corrected, then you can't hear. Even in the Old Testament, there was a school of prophets because nobody was born fully prophet. They had to learn. They had to develop. And in the New Testament, every single one of us has the same spirit that Jeremiah had, only in greater measure than Jeremiah had. And the spirit of Christ in you is the spirit of prophecy. So therefore, there is within you the ability to hear what God has to say, not only about your heart, but about others' hearts, to hear what God has to say about the future. But you have to learn to train your ear to hear what the Spirit has to say to you. The truth is, many of you don't realize this, but you're in a better position than Jeremiah. What I find with people, oh, that's Jeremiah, that was Moses, that's Isaiah. Jesus said... The least in the kingdom of God is even greater than the greatest in the Old Testament. And some of you are the least, so you qualify. You know who you are. All right, so you keep giving yourself excuses. That's not the spirit. That's your pride. And God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Guess what the humble do? They make mistakes and they own them. They step out. Maybe that wasn't quite right, but they own those mistakes. You see, the thing here isn't Jeremiah's wisdom. It's not Jeremiah's experience. The thing here is that it says God put his word in Jeremiah's mouth. You see, Jeremiah was not over nations. 
God's word was over nations. So when his word went forth, it had power, it had authority. The problem for many of us is we try to rule the word with our world with our words, with our opinions, with our thoughts. There is no authority that you have in your words over anything. You will use it to manipulate, dominate, intimidate, persuade, whatever it is. But if it's your word, it's nothing but you know, lacking any authority or any power. But when you allow his word to be in your mouth, then things start to happen. Look, your word can't save anybody. Your word can't heal anybody. Your word can't deliver anybody. But when his word is in your mouth and coming out of your mouth, it saves, it heals, it delivers. And then what you start to realize is you get to participate in that, and it is an unbelievably satisfying experience to see what's coming out of your mouth be the Word of God. When I I first started preaching, I was just 18 when I started preaching. I should be better at this by now. But... I remember going, oh, is it going to be all right? Is it okay? Are people going to receive it? Because, see, I was more worried about my words than I was about his word. And I don't believe anybody can speak and not have a mixture. But I think as you grow and you develop and you go deeper, you realize, what do I have that has any value except what I've received? And so when I speak what I've received, then I can leave the results and there's no more pressure on me. There's no more need for me to have approval or or delight or whatever it is, because if it's his word, it'll save, it'll deliver, it'll heal. But you see, a lot of you have his word, but you trap it in your head. Oh, I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything worthwhile. Oh, I, you know, I, you know, whatever. You see, if his word stays in your head, it doesn't benefit you and it doesn't benefit us. And even if you say it and it's wrong, what if I say the wrong thing? That's fine. You'll learn. You only learn how stupid you are when you open your mouth. And you can only correct yourself if you realize, boy, that was stupid. Why did I say that? Have you never had that experience where the word's coming out and you're wishing you could grab it and pull it right back? Oh, what was I thinking? But you learn. You see, you do not, you do not really be effective at being a person of his word if you won't risk speaking. And if you're hearing this voice saying you have nothing worthy to say or nobody's going to listen to you or it doesn't matter what you say, that's not God. You've allowed an enemy to begin to tell you what to say. I guarantee you, if you are in Christ, you have words from Christ. It might be a song, might be a Bible verse, could be an insight. Scripture calls them words of wisdom, words of knowledge. I remember when I didn't believe in words of wisdom and words of knowledge, and I would have words of wisdom, and I would have words of knowledge. i go, man, I must be smart. <laughs> and then I realized, no, I'm not that smart. That has to be the Lord. And I started to give him glory, and I got more words. See, as long as I thought I was smart, I got less words. But as long as I realized it was received wisdom, it was received knowledge, And I put it out there and said, do with it what you wish. Because if they don't listen to me, it's because they're not listening to him. And they're not listening to the one who sent him. Are you hearing me in this? So immediately when God speaks to his prophet, he starts giving him visions. Give him two visions. An almond tree and a boiling pot. These are powerful visions. This is why you can't just read through Jeremiah quickly. See, the almond tree is a picture in the, in the Holy Land. It's the first blooming tree of spring. It signals spring. And it's also the guardian of spring so that 
the sense of the almond tree guards that spring is here and that spring stays. And the Lord said, look at the almond tree. It's blooming. Spring has come. In other words, the life-giving Word of God is in you. And because it's in you, it will guard you. And He says this to Jeremiah, not a single word of mine that you ever speak will fall to the ground. Every word you speak will come true. You see, the Lord loves to affirm His Word. The Lord loves to confirm His Word. Yes, be somewhat careful with prophecy. I had a lady come up to me after a service and goes, the Lord told me you're going to lose everything. But it's okay because He'll carry you through it. I said, thanks, lady. Get out of here. I was like, are you just trying to scare me? Are you just trying to intimidate me? It didn't even, nothing about it felt right. And so I just stood against it and said, you know, this is, sounds like more like a curse than it sounds like a prophetic word, you know. But when I, when I got malaria, one of the trusted prayer warriors in my life came and said, I had a dream that you died. And I knew that this was a word from the Lord. Lisa knew it was a word from the Lord. We rallied every prayer person in this church. And we began to pray. You see, if the Lord gives you a word about death, it's a warning, not a threat. So you prepare for what's going to happen. Because the enemy is trying to kill me. He was trying to kill me. And so I, I, was, I had an incredible experience of prayer and, and, and of hearing from the Lord. And when I got malaria... They said I should have died. The, the type I had should have killed me. I was saturated with malaria. But as you can see, malaria couldn't kill me. I'm, I'm trying to explain to you, there's, there's more going on than just being a religious person who has like, okay, give me some good principles or precepts. No, his word has to be living in your heart. His word has to be alive. And you have to start speaking it. Satan is not bound to your thoughts. He's bound by your words. Are you tracking with me on this? So the second picture, he got a vision of a boiling pot. Now this is really a big deal. Everybody is worried about Assyria. Everybody's worried about Egypt. Nobody knows about Babylon. Babylon seems like nothing. So nobody is thinking, we got to deal with Babylon. Do you, you and I look back and go, whoa, they should have been worried about Babylon. Because Babylon wiped them out, and Nebuchadnezzar became this incredible king, and he took all of Judah into exile. Well, Jeremiah knew this when he was 18 years old. Jeremiah knew this as his first prophetic vision. You know what? No one listened to him. The king didn't listen to him. The priest didn't listen. The people didn't. They didn't want to hear it. This is one of the saddest things that I ever face in the church is how people would rather live in their lies because they think they comfort them and make them secure instead of being willing to say, tell me the truth no matter how much it hurts. God alone knows your future. God alone can protect you. Please, would you hear me on this? You can't have one foot in God and one in the world. If you're a leader, this is what went wrong in Judah. Josiah said, I love the Lord, but he said, but I'm going to protect myself with Egypt. I love the Lord, but I'm going to make sure that I, I do the political thing with Assyria. And God said, no, you can't be divided. It's either me or it's them. And if it's them, I'm going to let you be saved by them. And guess what? They can't save you. They can't save you. And so you and I have to be those people that realize this is kind of an all or nothing relationship. And this is what Jeremiah's burden was. Jeremiah's burden is such a, it's such a beautiful, powerful picture when it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. It doesn't in Hebrew say word. In Hebrew it says the burden of the Lord. 
Do you understand what this means? It means that God often has more trust in you than you have in yourself. That here's this teenager, and God says, I have a burden. I have something that weighs on me. And I trust you so much, and I have entrusted into you so much that I will honor you with my burden. I believe in you. I will let you carry this burden with me. Do you understand? This has been open to you your whole life. To be one of the intimates of God. Where instead of you just living life on your own terms and in your own independence and never finding what truly you were made for, instead you become a person that attaches your heart to God's heart and God says, I can entrust you with my burdens. And that's what he does, does with Jeremiah. And here's the burden of the Lord. I'm a husband, he says. I'm a husband and my bride is unfaithful. I'm a husband who had a honeymoon and gave her everything, gave her all my love, all my attention, all my security, but she's left me. Now, I'm going to do my best to get you to get this, okay? For some reason, most of us, we see this kind of angry God. We see him disappointed with us. We see him, you know, you're not behaving, I'm going to zap you with lightning bolts or something kind of God. That's not the way he portrays himself. Do you know what, you know what he's doing here? The mighty, transcendent, all-powerful, holy God is saying, I'm vulnerable. I'm broken. I am hurting. He's saying, I'm a husband who had a bride. We had a precious honeymoon. And now I find out she has other lovers. He's not saying, I'm a God who's going to get you. He's saying, I'm a husband who is hurt. I'm a husband who is on the verge of divorce. I mean, when you start to see that in his words, you go, this makes sense. This starts to make sense. But here, here's what he's really teaching you, if you'll let it come in. And this is really the burden of the word of God, is for you to know that you have a spiritual passion inside of you that it is it, it, it at times is overwhelming to you and when you don't know how to satisfy that spiritual passion you will give your passion to things that are illicit that are addictive to things that are destructive or things that basically are idolatry that cannot and will not be resourced by God Here's what he says. You know, the translators are so polite, but I love this phrase. It says, spiritually, when the people of God turn away from their God and dethrone God from their hearts, he says, you're like donkeys in heat. You're like donkeys in heat, he says, and you don't care who you spread your legs for. <laughs> the translation is a lot more polite, but the Hebrew... Is that's exactly what he says. I mean, he says, look, donkeys in heat don't discriminate. Spiritual people who don't understand that the passion they're throwing into substances or alcohol or shopping or, or sex or, or their career or their family, they don't understand they're basically spreading their legs for every other God but their husband. You understand what God is saying here? It's not about religion. It's about passion. And when you waste your passion on other things, then you're basically just a donkey in heat. I was, let me illustrate this in a way. I was, I was leading a prayer gathering for leaders, for ministry pastors. And man, they got passionate. People were on their faces. They were weeping. They were repenting. Worship was powerful. We scrapped all the agenda of the meetings and prayed for two days together. This one pastor goes, I, I just want to say something, he says. I really don't believe prayer has to be like this. He said, my prayer life is I get up every morning. I read a little bit of my Bible. I write a few prayer requests out. I have a little time of prayer. 
and then I go about my day. Now, he, he wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but he was trying to make sure that in his power and position, he was telling me he disagreed with me, that you didn't need to be this emotional, you didn't need to be this passionate. So, I, you know, I wasn't in a place to destroy him with a mighty lightning bolt, so, uh, <laughs> or smite him or anything else. But I just felt like something was really wrong with what he was saying. Because here had been this repentance. Here had been this passion poured out. Here had been pastors weeping on their faces before the Lord. And he's like, I'm above all this. My spiritual life is the right life. A dispassionate life. Well, a few months later, I hear he's left his church. Because he's been having an affair. So guess what? He was dispassionate towards the Lord, but that spiritual passion had to go somewhere. So it didn't go to the Lord, so it went to a mistress. It went to a relationship. You understand what God is saying? You are spiritually passionate. I made you that way. And he didn't say, I'm not just your God, I'm your husband. I want to love you with open arms. I want you to return to me. Not just change your behavior. Not just try to do better. No. Come passionately to me. Nothing else will do. That's the burden. That's the burden that he put on this teenager. Bring the bride back to me. May I be enthroned in their hearts again instead of diminished by every other adulterous affair they're having, let their fullness of their passion come to me. And then they will realize how full they are. Because what you really realize is when you chase after every other fulfillment, it's a master that never satisfies the slave. Will you stand with me? Can you hear me today? Here is what I, I know in my life. Every spiritual pressure tries to distract my spiritual passion. Tries to get me focused on taking care of Lisa, taking care of dealing with cancer. Tries to get me to focus on whether I'm a good pastor or whether I'm a good preacher or whether people accept me or approve. I think you've got to hear it's not... You're qualified for the call. The call qualifies you. So you know what he says? Get ready. Get ready. Look. If you look, here's the three words to you today. Get ready. Get yourself ready. Do not be terrified by anyone. Trust in God and no one else. Reverence God and fear no one else. Think about this great Bible verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Guess what? That also means lean not on anybody else's understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Yeah, politics are all around us. Tensions all around us. Insecurities all around us. But what is God doing? God is deeply rooting you so that you go deep so you can go high. That's what he does with his children. His children flourish in every generation. His children are overabundantly supplied in every generation because nothing on this earth can keep the supply line of God from you. But he calls that you would have a passion for him. So would you close your eyes with me? I... I just sense the Lord saying, will you enthrone me again? Will you renew your call? You understand, you are, each one of you in Christ, you are a priest. That's your call in your life, to minister to God and to minister for God. But you can't do it with your own words and you can't do it out of fear. He says, be terrified by no one. Do not be afraid of them. Trust me. 
Worship me. Have your passion in me. And I will make your fortified city. I'll make your words not fall to the ground. I don't think it matters how old you are. I don't think it matters what your past was. All that matters is, are you hearing his voice today? My sheep hear my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. You might need to repent of where you've given your passions to others. The husband that the Lord is to his bride, he says, you can't go to a tree and spread your legs for another God. You can't go to a high place and spread your legs for another God. You can't say you're mine when you're giving yourself to every other thing. You have as much passion, the word of God says, as a donkey in heat. But have the discrimination to know that you are a bride and he's the bridegroom. Lord, we we repent tonight today, this morning. We repent of chasing after other things as if they would satisfy. A donkey in heat is not very discriminating. We come back to our true bridegroom, to to the true arms of the lover of our souls. I know this may be odd for some of you, but I see the Spirit of God moving in our midst very, very, for me, and like a, at least a prophetic way, very tangibly, very visibly. And I see Him touching your lips and putting His Word in your mouth. He doesn't just want you to say, isn't that a nice principle? He wants you to encounter His Word and experience His Word so that you begin to speak and live in His Word. That it's not just a book, but it's an encounter with our living God. Will you receive today afresh that call to His heart, to passion for Him? If you're not passionate with Him, you'll be passionate with something else. It will not satisfy. Lord, we seal what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. This is really important today. I know it's the beginning of this series. It's really important. I've got prayer ministers who wanted you to maybe make some of this verbal, maybe speak this out loud. Again, Satan's not at all bound by your thoughts, only your words. Would you come and pray and renew your call out loud to to somebody who cares for you? God bless you. We'll see you next week.